Let us pray. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you. Open our ears, Lord, that we might hear you. Speak to us afresh this morning. May we be listening with our hearts and with our minds. For your name's sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. Isn't it annoying when you come in on the last session and you think, well, I haven't heard the earlier ones and here they're telling me it's the last one. Well, the good news about this is that this is really just the end of the beginning, not the beginning of the end. I've written um, the words after the last word that Bob read in my Bible, I've put limitless. You see, it is the start and not the end. And we shall see what I might mean about that. The whole of the book of Acts is an account of the way that God sends the Holy Spirit into the life of believers. Yes, you and me. And that spirit, the Holy Spirit, drives them, drives us, shapes them and shapes us, forming us. It was the same spirit that birthed the church then and launches the church on mission then and the church on mission today. I've been at a three-day clergy conference and I heard these beautiful words, ministry for mission. That's music to my ears because we don't just come as this is the final stop. Our services are not a full stop. They're a pit stop. This is where we get fueled for the service to begin when we leave through the doors. The next service starts for you, well, at about quarter to 10, I suppose, until the next time you come back to get refueled. Now, these 28 chapters that we probably all missed span more than 30 years, three decades of history. We have things that take place on three different continents. We have the church birth in Jerusalem, the continent of Asia. We have the gospel that continues to go out uh, where Paul takes camp in, around the Mediterranean. And we also see in Acts 8, the Ethiopian eunuch who is converted to Christ and takes the gospel into Africa. But we've been specifically looking at Paul's missionary journeys. And again, for those of you who are jumping on board just now, let me bring us up to speed. You see, we have 14 churches planted by Paul alone. And we know that many other churches were uh, planted at that time, planting their roots um, through the words and work of Paul. He travels over 10,000 miles. Imagine if he had air miles where he'd be going for a rest. He goes by land, by sea. We see the church develop leadership. We see the church develop vision. And we see the church continuing to move forward. That's the story we find across the book of Acts. What we see really and truly is the work that Jesus continues to do through the spirit and the formation of his church. I could say so much more about those preceding 27 chapters, but resist. I'd actually love you to keep your Bibles open. Remind us, Bob, was the page 1126. Um, 
And I asked Dr. Starter at verse 16 that sense, actually, Paul has done his missionary journeys. He's now coming to Rome. He's been praying and hoping to come to Rome. And he sees the believers coming forward to greet him. I don't know about you, but sometimes I love coming back to church and just being greeted by family. That's you. And it's good. I think, Bob, I was saying uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, um, I have been away. I've been on <laughs> not trips, as you might. I've been around to the churches around and about, and I haven't been here. I've been serving um, at the new wine conference and so on. And I just think it's really good to be back and just seeing Bob's smiling face. I'm like, I'm home. Good to see you, family. Thanks, Bob. And so it was for Paul. Well, he wasn't coming home, but he was going to where he had prayed to be. He didn't arrive like he thought he would. He arrived as a prisoner after a shipwreck. And he's on house arrest. And people have to come to him. And we hear a pick up in verse 23, which is where we should have started our reading. Take a look at verse 23. It says this. They arranged to meet Paul, now that's the Jewish leaders, on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he stayed. He witnessed to them from morning till evening. About eight hours. I'm glad I'm not going to go on for about eight hours. <laughs> Explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Paul's doing three things, witnessing, explaining, and I want to say preaching. There's one thing he's not doing. You see, verse 22 says the people wanted to hear his views. But Paul knows his purpose and his limits. What they want is different from what they need. In the Lord's Prayer, we ask for our needs to be met, not our wants. So the first thing that Paul is doing is he's witnessing. We hear from morning to evening, he witnesses. Now, when we think of witness, think of a witness in a court of law. We're giving an account of what has happened. I imagine for Paul that this would naturally include his own experience of the gospel, because he does this regularly throughout his letters. And I'm sure at this occasion in Rome would be no exception. And I guess the question for us this morning is what is our witness? We are called to be witnesses. We all are witnesses. Now, if you think of being a witness in a situation, any situation, some witnesses are right there. They have the full picture. Others are further away. They saw something. But if you're a witness, you have seen something, you have heard something. And the question is, what did I see of Jesus? What have I seen of Jesus? And what do I believe? What has he done for me that I did believe? Did he speak to me through a Bible passage or a preacher? Was it the loving teaching of a parent? Or indeed, a teacher at school? Did a friend share Jesus with me? 
If someone were to ask us why we follow Jesus, see, the question is, well, why, why do you go to church? Why do you go to church? The question is there to answer. Oh, I go because, well, I like it. It's not a witness statement. It's very often what we say, but what are we going to say? Not about church, about Jesus. What would we say? Now, I think for some of us, that could feel refreshing, but I'm sure for others of us, that is terrifying. But it's good to remember that we are witnesses. There is something. Who was it that said, I was strangely warned? Help me. Thank you, Wesley. You know, even saying that, I felt that sense of being strangely warm. There's something I can't put my finger on it yet. That's why I'm going to that alpha course. Do you want a cup? You see, can you answer that question? Come on the alpha course. It's not the alpha course, finding out more about Jesus. We're witnesses. What have we seen with our own eyes? But let's pause. We are not alone. You see, Jesus says, it's good for me to go away because I will send the helper, the Holy Spirit. When we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. So right now, I think our prayer is this. Come, Holy Spirit. I can't recall even what I want to say about you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, lead me into all truth. Remind me of what Jesus has done for me. Why I've come today. Why I keep coming back. Help. Help me. Amen. So Paul witnesses. He then goes on to explain. He explains the gospel isn't just our own experience with Jesus, but has lots of history behind it. Paul starts, no doubt, with the Old Testament, moves into the present. You can look back at several of Paul's um, explanations in the book of Acts. Ask me later where to dive in or go find it yourselves in the book of Acts. What does he say in just a few short paragraphs explaining about the past, which gives strength for the present and hope for the future. You see, Paul lays out the puzzle pieces on the table, starting to assemble them for his hearers. He does it in a way that connects with them. They are the Jewish leaders. He would have talked about Messiah, the hope that the Jewish nation were looking for, the one they were looking for. But I'm sure he put it in such a way that the picture is not complete. And so this allows Paul to go on and to move into his purpose, which is to persuade them. To be the herald of Christ, that is what preaching is. You see, he wants them to know Christ, to accept Christ. He's not just presenting an academic um, set of facts. Or is he a witness who is impartial to the results of a trial? 
He wants them to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. The one who is all beautiful, all powerful, all knowing, all loving. Holds all our future. And calls us by name and says, will you be mine? Listen to this witness. You might recognize it. I thank Christ. I thank Jesus Christ, my Lord. He's given me strength. He's considered that he can trust me. He's even appointed me to serve. Drawing aside, where has he asked you to serve? Where has he asked me to serve? Is it to care within the home? Is it to minister to difficult and lonely neighbours? Is it to be the witness at work by the way that we act and the way we conduct ourselves? Is it serving outside, serving outside our home? This witness goes on. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted without knowledge and in unbelief. But the grace of Jesus, the grace of Jesus was poured out even on me and it was poured out abundantly. And along with that, with faith, I couldn't have faith alone, but it was poured into me and love. And that is Jesus. This witness goes on to say, here is a trustworthy saying, and it deserves being fully accepted. Jesus came into the world to save people like me, a sinner of whom I am the worst. But it was for this reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive him, receive eternal life. Now to the king. He is eternal, immortal, he's invisible, he's the only God. May all honour and glory be to him. Amen. Of course, that witness is Paul himself speaking to the young Timothy. That was his witness. Now we go on to read in verse 24, some were convinced. Hallelujah. Not all were convinced. In fact, some refused to believe. God isn't asking us to deal with all of those people, but to rejoice in those that he is saving. Paul may not leave his home. He's a prisoner. But people come to him. We too have homes. We may be chained by unusual things. It may be our mortgage. It may be our infirmity, our unemployment. It may be our age. It may be children. But we have a base of operations, a little bit like Paul. Will we use it? James Stocker commenting on the book of Acts said, Paul's prison became the fulcrum from which he moved the entire world. So eight to 10 hours preaching, I need to keep moving. Mm -hmm. 
as people go out witnessing, explaining and persuading, people of all nations are coming to Christ. So I said at the beginning, the end is not really the end, it's the beginning. Paul was chained to the guards. Four six-hour shifts. The thing was, in reality, the guards were chained to Paul. They were stuck next to him for six hours. <laughs> and these weren't any guards, they were the Praetorian guards, all the household of the Caesar himself. All roads at that time had to lead to Rome. Paul's prayer had been that he would preach in Rome. He's in a house. He's come through shipwreck and previous imprisonment. He did not expect to be a prisoner. He is in chains. The gospel isn't in chains. We hear what the result of this chaining was. You see in Philippians, he writes this at the beginning in chapter one. Now I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And then his letter to the Philippians ends in this way. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters with me, with him in the house, send greetings. All God's people send greetings. And get this, especially those who belong to Caesar's household, send greetings. All roads lead to Rome, the centre of the known world. He's got right into the heart of the palace, the heart of where Caesar is Lord. And that yet those guards were saying, no, Jesus, how do I pray and receive Jesus as Lord? He spoke the words of life to them. Verse 30, two whole years he spent in his own, own home, but under God. And yet this was the greatest period of Paul's impact, these last two years in prison. In this time, Paul wrote uh, what has become known as the prison epistles, four letters given to three churches and one person, but given to us and relevant to us today. We have Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the letter to Philemon. Ephesians and Philippians to encourage the believers, the Philippians particularly who are facing opposition from without and division from within. The church at Colossae was struggling with false teaching and heresy, which had come in from a combination of Greek speculation, Oriental mysticism, and Jewish legalism. That's enough of a mouthful to make my head ache for a start. The problem with all of that was it devalued Jesus Christ as the ultimate authority. That letter to the Colossians was to reverse that. So he wrote those four letters during his confinement. The Roman guards were converted and church leaders here at the center of the universe at the time was strengthened. 
false prison had become his pulpit. He shared the truth which changed the world. So that in his last letter to Timothy chapter 2, he said that verse that I started our service with, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained. Chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. He saw jail as an opportunity. Martin Luther, when he was in prison for one year or um, confined to Wartburg Castle as an outlaw and a heretic, used that year to translate the Bible into, into German. John Bunyan, in his imprisonment, wrote Pilgrim's Progress. People we hear of up there, Susanna Wesley, perhaps more mundane, with her 19 children, with the mother of Charles and John Wesley, men of God. She instructed them and she kept her quiet time. How did she do that in amongst 19 children? Apart from this crazy thing of raising up her apron and just saying, away, children, do what you want. I'm spending a moment with God. What about us? What, what does our imprisonment look like when we're thinking, I cannot be a John Bunyan, uh, Martin Luther, or even Susanna Wesley? Ask God. We have been given the Holy Spirit. And he wants to say to you, I will use you. Yes, where you are, you think you're confined, but I want to use you. Are you willing? Will you let me? You see, the end of the book of Acts is an invitation to believe that we are part of something and have a part to play. It invites us into the life of Jesus. It's a wonderful and beautiful invitation. Will you jump in? Will you join in? Will you be part of the story of God, which is continue, continuing to unfold to the ends of the earth? As the Lord continues to write on the pages of the hearts of people who call him Lord and King. Your story, your life will be given to something. You see, we all give our lives to something. And when it comes to the end, will it just be the beginning as the ripples go out into eternity? Amen. If you can, would you stand please as we confirm our faith in the words of the creed. On page seven. We believe in one God, the Father of the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit, 
and the Virgin Mary, and was named man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceed from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Oh. Please take a seat as we continue in prayers of intercession.